0: 21 we're going to read it together hear now god's word and now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria and after this Ahab said to Naboth give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it if it seems good to you I will give you its value in money But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. For he who refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he is gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Any one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's pray together this morning, oh, Father. Now, as we give our attention to this uh, this wonderful story, it's true, but it's such a, it's such a compelling and well written and just pithy tale. And Father, we pray: uh, not only would we learn in it what we need to learn in it, but Lord, uh, would we enjoy it as we give ourselves uh, to uh, a few moments of attention to it. For we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Question three in the Westminster Shorter Shorter Catechism asks us, what do the scriptures principally teach? The answer is this. What man is to believe concerning God, and what duty God requires of man? In our text for this morning, we see both aspects of question three. We will learn of the nature and character of God. We will see his justice and we will also see his mercy. At the same time, we will see what God requires of his people, though not in the way in which we might expect. There is no thou shalt shalt, or thou shalt not in our text. Rather, we see that the Bible teaches us to expect particular things in our lives. Pastor, what kinds of things are we taught to expect? I'm glad you asked. We are to expect, and what we learn, sadly, is that even when God's people do the right thing, It does not guarantee a favorable result. So this morning, we give ourselves to the last of the texts in our series on the life of Elijah. If 1 Kings chapter 18 is the most famous of the Elijah stories, this is probably the second. Now, the title for the sermon this morning, Payday Someday, is not original to me. Uh, there was a very famous 20th century Southern Baptist preacher, a man by the name of R.G. Lee. Lee preached uh, this particular sermon, Payday Someday, not the sermon I'm preaching to you, but a sermon entitled Payday Someday, some 1,200 times. And as a young seminarian who was brand new to Southern Baptist life, I came across Lee's, this particular sermon uh, through preaching class and his rather influential ministry, at this little tiny church of twenty five thousand people now in Memphis called Bellevue Baptist Church, uh, you may have heard of Lee's successor, a man named Adrian Rogers R. G. Lee was a silver tongued pulpiteer who was much given to memorable and particularly southern turns of phrase and I went back and reread it, and honestly uh I enjoyed it, but man, it set me back because I found myself going. I would love to say that, but if I said it, none of you would understand what it is that I just said. Because we just don't talk that way anymore. Uh, Lee spoke of Ahab as being the vile toad of a man who squatted upon the throne of King David. We just don't talk like that. So, this morning, as we think about 1 Kings 21, we want to begin with a paradox. And it's a paradox that's in this text, and not only does it teach us about God, and not only does it teach us about what we are to expect as God's people, but as we're going to see, it also points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. God's people must expect injustice in this life, confident that God is just. And there's the paradox. It's not a contradiction. It is a paradox. God's people must expect injustice in this life, but we do so knowing that our God is Himself just. Three points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. A biblical or pragmatic. Biblical or pragmatic. Like any good story, 1 Kings chapter 21 has a conflict. And the conflict going on here is not the one that we would be quick to find as folks who inhabit a world with Marxist communism on the prowl. This is not a story of class conflict. The bourgeois leader, King Ahab, is not opposing the proletariat, the poor, unfortunate Naboth. Rather, this is a conflict between a man who decides based on what the Bible says, teaches, and commands over and against a man who makes a decision based purely upon pragmatism. Ahab is concerned only with achieving the outcome he desires. He wants Naboth's vineyard for a vegetable garden. Now, this is not an unreasonable request. This is not some sort of strange... uh, Because he has this really inflated ego, he's making these really bizarre requests. No, Naboth's vineyard is near Ahab's summer palace. And feeding his entourage would require a lot of food. And they can't just ship in some frozen veggies to stock up when the king and his household would take up residence in Jezreel. (coughs) So this is not an unreasonable request, but it's a request that's driven by pragmatism, not by what the Bible teaches. Now the writer of 1 Kings helps us to see the nature of this particular conflict in verse 3. When he responds to Ahab's reasonable offer, Naboth uses the covenant name of Israel's God. It's in all caps in your Bible when he says, Uh, But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord, all caps, forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You see, in Leviticus 25, and then again in Numbers chapter 36, God tells his people that the land that they're going to go into to receive is an inheritance. It's an inheritance not only from their ancestors, but it's also their inheritance from him. And they should not sell their inheritance because if they were to sell their inheritance, they would be like Esau who in his own short-sighted, pragmatic way sold his birthright to his brother Jacob. Now, there were certain emergency situations where land could be sold. Think about in the book of Ruth. But this is not one of And so now we begin to see the nature of the conflict. Ahab knows what he wants and he's going to make a beeline for it. Naboth knows what God's word requires of him and he's seeking to be obedient. One of them is thinking pragmatically and one of them is thinking biblically. All Ahab knows is is the desired result that he wants to see brought to being. Naboth, on the other hand, seeks to honor the Lord, knowing that the results are going to be in God's hands. Now, Ahab foolishly believes that possessing this particular thing, the thing that he wants, is going to somehow add to his happiness. And in this way, quite honestly, we're all a little bit like Ahab. We all look at different elements in our lives and we say, you know, if I, if I just had this, maybe it's not a thing. You don't necessarily need something bright and shiny. But it would be great, wouldn't it, to have your mortgage paid off. It would be great to be read of all of your student loans. It would be wonderful if all of your children were walking with the Lord. If only this were true of my family or my situation, things would be wonderful. And friends, if we are not careful, we will think not as Naboth did. We will not think biblically, but rather we will think pragmatically we all have a little bit of Ahab running around inside us. But we're also all a little bit like Jezebel. Jezebel mocks Ahab for thinking that as the king of Israel, he is somehow subject to the law. Rather, Jezebel thinks that the wishes of the king are the law, and we fall prey to this as well. In fact, so much of the current moment in which we find ourselves living in is folks who believe that we are all a law unto ourselves. The law doesn't matter. What matters is my truth. Reality doesn't matter. What matters is my particular truth i am a law unto myself and if we're not careful and watchful and humble and prayerful we too will find ourselves reflecting our culture more than we reflect the lord jesus christ now this is where first kings 21 goes from preaching to meddling this is where the rub comes We're often tempted to think that if I act and live and praise and pray and worship and if I do all these things biblically, that will somehow ensure a happy ending. Usually, however, I choose to define happy. It does not. It did not for Naboth. It did not for four Hebrew youths in the book of Daniel who found themselves in a fiery furnace and a lion's den, respectively. And it did not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear the echoes of our New Testament reading in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 10? Meredith read for us that there were two worthless men who came and made baseless accusations against the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 10, we read, And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Friends, living biblically means that we can expect injustice in this life. Jesus told us this. Jesus himself was a victim of this. Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, and the writer of Hebrews all tell us the same thing. That if we seek to live biblically, and if we seek to serve and honor the Lord, and do so in a way that brings him glory and reflects the nature and character of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can expect injustice we can expect, like Naboth, persecution. And so I wonder why we listen to certain teachers who try to tell us that God really wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy in this life when we know full well they are disregarding the clear teaching of the Bible. Friends, by God's grace, let us seek to be biblical in our thinking leaving the outcome to God. We cannot control the outcome. And when we think pragmatically, that little bit of Ahab and that little bit of Jezebel that is roaming free in all of us is suddenly turned loose to create havoc. Secondly, let's be confident of the coming payday. Let's be confident of the coming payday. Like the prophet Nathan before him, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah to confront a sinful king. And the word of God that comes to the king through the prophet is both invasive and disturbing. (coughs) And like his forefather David, the Bible tells us that Ahab rather shockingly humbles himself. That we're told that Ahab puts on sackcloth and ashes that Ahab lays in the sackcloth and he goes about dejectedly so the challenge here though is that living biblically and not pragmatically means number 1 that we do have to wrestle to a certain extent with the fact that well if if God is just then why does the just Naboth have to die. And if God is just, why in the world does God set his reckoning aside? Now, we'll get to the second one in just a moment. But let's understand that setting aside our desire for justice is really hard. And it's hard because we're created in the nature and image of God. And as those who bear the Imago Day, we are hardwired to want justice. When we see injustice happening, there's a part of us that simply wants to cry out. There's a part of us that cannot tolerate injustice in the world Even though we understand our own perception, our own understanding of those things is necessarily flawed. We want justice. We're hardwired to do so because we're created in God's image. And so, this promise of coming payday, this promise of God's coming judgment, is meant to be for us a comfort it's meant to be for us a means by which god shows his grace and his mercy to his suffering people listen to me if you would you can turn there if you like but in second thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 to 10 the apostle paul unpacks for us god's judgment that's going to happen when jesus christ appears and I want you to understand, and, and let's pay particular attention, to the situation that the church in Thessalonica finds themselves, and how it is that Paul wants them to receive the news of this certainty of Christ's coming judgment. Listen to what he says in Second Thessalonians chapter one verse five. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering, since God, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, Here's the tension in this wonderful text. God will repay with affliction those who afflict you. God will grant relief to those who are afflicted because of the kingdom of God. That's the good news. Here's the part we don't like. When is that going to happen? Twice, he reminds us it's going to happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And then again in verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. God will judge sin, God will repay with affliction those who afflict his people. We want it. Now, but God says, God challenges us, God reminds us that living biblically means that we leave the timing of his justice to him. We can be confident in the coming payday, but we need to understand that the timing of God's judgment is left to God. He is the sovereign ruler. He is the sovereign judge. We are not. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I hate that lesson. I hate being reminded on an almost daily basis that God's timing is not my timing. That God's plan is not my plan that the way God does it is uh, always with the intention of bringing God glory and honor and praise, and it's never with the intention of God doing what I think He ought to do and thereby making my life easier. And I hate it when He does that. I hate it. I want God to show up now. Now. In fact, more often than not, I wanted God to show up five minutes ago. And yet learning to think biblically, learning to live biblically means that we can leave the outcome to God being confident that indeed what he has promised will come true. Well, the third thing that we need to wrestle with in this paradox is that God delights to show mercy with justice. God delights to show mercy with his justice. If you turn back to 1 Kings chapter 21, we're rather shocked and amazed when Ahab responds actually appropriately. He doesn't stomp his feet. He doesn't jump up and down. He doesn't immediately cry out for his guard to come seize Elijah and have him killed. No, we're told in verse 27, And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. Ahab apparently is quite good at pouting. He can lay in his bed and look dejected because Naboth will not sell him his vineyard. And now he can go about looking dejectedly because the Lord has proclaimed his judgment against him. One of the scholars that I like most, that I, I, just, I enjoy reading him and listening to him, is a man named Dale Ralph Davis. And Dale Ralph Davis hopefully reminds us that when God does this in verses 28 and 29, he's not canceling his judgment, he's postponing it. God is still going to judge sin He's just not going to do it during Ahab's lifetime. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if I'm Elijah, I would sort of be wishing uh, when the word of the Lord comes to him, I'd I'd be trying to negotiate with God on my way there. I'd be like, hey, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to pronounce this word, but you know what would be really awesome? God would be really awesome is if this horrible prophecy that you have against him could happen right here, right now in front of me. Like, I would love to see that. That would be great. In fact, the whole 40 days, 40 nights, feeding me with birds, like all the stuff I put up with, how about you do your boy a solid and just take him out right here? Would love to see that. And to that, again, we're reminded that God's timing is not our timing and that God delights to show mercy and justice. He's not canceling his judgment. He's postponing it. Furthermore, we have to look at Ahab's actions and realize that he's remorseful, but he's probably not repentant. After all, he still holds the deed to Naboth's vineyard in his pocket. And we wonder has God gone soft? Did God get played? Is God so wishy-washy? Is God so desired to be loved and well thought of that he can't see past what it is that Ahab is doing? Now, friends, I know we're outraged at this, but we should be delighted. How many times does the Word of God come to us in this beautiful way in which it is both invasive and disturbing. It disrupts us. How often does the Spirit of God prick our hearts reminding us of the ways in which we are sinning against God like we did five minutes ago, like we did five hours ago, like we did yesterday, like we did five years ago, like we did five days ago. How many times are we guilty not of genuine repentance, but instead merely remorse. And how often are we the recipients not of God's justice, but of God's mercy? Now, that is possible, not because God is some sort of sap, not because he's some sort of bleeding heart liberal, but it's possible Only because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God can show us His mercy precisely because in the cross of Christ His justice has been met. Justice and mercy are going to come together and they're going to kiss one another in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, 1 Kings chapter 21 isn't just about God the Father and God's prophet and Ahab and neighbor. No, 1 Kings 21 really is for us a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people must expect injustice, but God is just, and God does delight to show mercy with justice and friends. If He did not, we would have no hope whatsoever. Because there's a lot of Ahab running around in each of us. There's a lot of Jezebel running around in each of us. Well, this is a strange paradox, isn't it? God allows, even though he is just, he allows his people to suffer injustice. God declares his justice and yet delights show mercy. Well, as we've said, it mirrors the redemptive work that God does through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the table this morning paints us a picture of that paradox. We're reminded of the injustice of Christ's passion and Christ's death. We see both the justice of God and the mercy of God. We who were once called not my people are now invited as family members to come to the table that Jesus has set for God's people. We see both God's justice and God's mercy. And we see the promise of Christ's return. We observe this meal until Christ comes again. And when he comes again, it will be in glory and in judgment. There will be a payday someday. And as God's people, we understand that the table reminds us of God's justice, it reminds us of God's mercy. And it reminds us that Christ indeed will come again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your, not just uh, your justice, but we bless you this morning for your mercy. Thank you for the way in which uh, 1 Kings 21 tells us both the truth about you and what we are to believe about you as the triune God who redeems a fallen people for himself. But it also tells us what duty we require of you, that we are to expect injustice in this world, that we are to seek to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, trusting the results then to you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for those times in which our thinking is pragmatic and not biblical. Forgive us for the times in which we think we can bring about a desired result with our own machinations and our own efforts. Father, forgive us uh, when we, like Jezebel, believe we are a law unto ourselves. They are, we are not in any way subject to the law that the great king has placed above us. And Father, we bless you this morning for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is there that your justice and your mercy meet up. And it is there that we find forgiveness. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.